Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking with Kim Conley about the strategies she uses to recover quickly after hard training blocks or when resuming training, frankly, after one of her world-class events. So the big question is this, how are runners like us who don't like hearing doctors say, just stop running, who know that we simply have to stay active, how do we heal in a way that lets us stay strong, maintain our running fitness, and keep preparing for the next race, and still heal without making the injury worse? Well, that is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Dr. Christopher Segler, and welcome to the Doc on the Run podcast. So I'm sure everybody listening to this already knows who Kim is, two-time Olympic athlete, middle and long distance track star. And part of what I really find most inspiring about Kim is the way that she's pulled it out and come back in literally the final meters of some races to secure the win. In fact, my son was in, you know, in middle school, he's doing this timed competition basically of a mile. And I played a clip from a race just showing like, okay, this is what a comeback looks like, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think it's really important for people to get that kind of inspiration, but it, I would imagine, is incredibly difficult to do. But Kim knows how to do that. So in 2012, the Olympic trials, she passed her rival, uh, Julia Lucas, as I understand it, and then won literally in like the final meter by four one-hundredths of a second. And that also allowed her to surpass the standard that she needed to qualify for the Olympics by only 21 one-hundredths of a second. And then she did a similar thing in 2014 at the U.S. Outdoor Championships. And I think in that event, it was the 10,000 meter event. And you've been leading for like eight laps. And with 200 meters to go, I think it was, was it Jordan Hesse? Yeah. Yeah. So she passed you. And of course, usually when a pass like that happens, it's done. But then you charged back and out sprinted her to, um, to the finish line and you won the title. So uh, that's the sort of stuff that I think is really unique that most people just cannot do. And to do it more than once is really remarkable. But not just that, Kim's really and truly a multifaceted runner. So most athletes, I think, are really you know, focused on one thing, but she's been incredibly successful at a number of different events, including in 2015, won the USA Half Marathon Championship. Uh, Then Kim qualified for the Olympic Games in 2016, competed in the 5,000-meter event in Rio. So we're really fortunate to have Kim on the show today to share some of her strategies and tactics that have helped her stay fit, train hard, and obviously recover after all those hard workouts throughout her career. So Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. All right. So before we start with all the questions about recovery and strategy and all that kind of stuff, why don't you just tell us about your passion for running and, and how you really made it from, you know, running in high school uh, in Santa Rosa to make it to the Olympics. Like how does somebody go from just like, you know, starting to run to the Olympics? How'd that happen for you? Well, I mean, it, it really started with that word you just used passion. Um, I, yeah, I, I just wasn't a high school phenom um, by any stretch. You know, I, I didn't go to the Foot Locker National Championships. Um, you know, no, nobody was ever looking at me like I could win a state title. Um, but I loved to run. And, and I, so I wouldn't have used the word back then, but I fell in love with the process back then. Um, and, and so I think that's been the foundation for me in the sport is just, um, being really happy to be able to get out the door and explore new places on foot. Um, and then over time I've refined my commitment to the details and kind of a commitment to like an, an excellence based mindset. And so that's allowed me to continue improving year after year after year. Um, and so I've never really had like a, a 
a huge breakthrough in terms of time. Um, but I did have a 16 year PR streak where I just like whittled away at my PRs just by a little bit every year. And so <laughs> over 16 years, that really adds up. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, so I went from a, a, a decent, you know, pretty good high school runner. Um, but then, you know, by 2012, three years after college, um, then in contention to make the Olympic team, at least in my mind, in contention, I don't think anybody else was expecting it, um, except for my coach and my mom. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but yeah, when I entered that Olympic trials in 2012, I was, my PR was five seconds away from that Olympic standard. And so most people didn't expect me to make the team because mm. they expected only people with the standard. Um, but again, it was just a small PR, five second PR, and it got me under the standard. Well, so uh, that has to be difficult, right? Like for anybody to PR in itself is one thing, but then to PR under the pressure of an event like that seems like it would be more difficult. I mean, I would think, right? But obviously you did it and, uh, you know, everybody at some time has to deal with some kind of uncertainty, adversity, whatever you want to call it to make it to the finish line. But obviously right now with what's going on, there's a lot of adversity for a lot of athletes. Uh, a lot of stuff is up in the air. Races that have never been canceled, events, sporting events, uh, professional events, all things that have gone on for nearly a hundred years in some cases are being postponed or canceled because nobody knows what's going on. And, uh, but I would imagine that given anybody who has a 16 year streak of PRs has done a lot of races in a lot of places and has probably had to have something either changed or canceled on you last minute. And when you think back to all your various races that you have completed and competed in, um, you know, what do you think of what, when you think about overcoming adversity or anxiety inducing change uh, before one of those events that you had to deal with, what, what comes to mind? Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a few examples that come to mind. Um, you know, so, so that 2012 Olympic trials race, for example, I, I had to get the standard in it. And um, so my coach and I had formed a race plan that involved me going to the lead and trying to push the pace and make sure the pace um, was fast enough that I'd be able to get the standard. And I didn't do a very good job of it. Um, and so I got 3000 meters in and looked at the clock and thought, Oh, there's no way it's going to happen. Um, and so, and so that kind of as like a little micro event during that race, I fell apart. I fell back as far as eighth place, um, with 600 meters to go, you know, because I just kind of thought the Olympic dreams out the window. And then I regrouped and I let go of the Olympic dream. And I just thought, uh, maybe I could get on the podium. I knew I could get back into fifth place. Once I was in fifth place, I saw that third place was possible. Mm. And so for the last like 600 meters of that race, I stopped focusing on trying to get to the Olympics. And I just was focusing on getting on the podium. And in the process, that Olympic standard happened. So that was an important lesson for me that sometimes um, when you're having those kind of anxiety induced moments, you have to like let go of the big picture a little bit and just focus on what you can control right in that moment. Um, that's not to say I always do it perfectly. So, um, <laughs> when in 2013, I went to the world championships, they were in Moscow. Um, and so, well, so in 2012 at the Olympics, I didn't make it out of the first round to the final of the Olympics. So in 2013 at the world championships, a huge goal of mine was to get to the final, to be a world finalist. So the way it works is you run rounds. I was in the second heat, the first heat ran the race, the top five automatically qualify, and then they go by time to fill the field. And that heat ran so slow that, I mean, we all could have totally jogged in the second heat and still like gotten all the, um, all the qualifying times. 
but I was so focused on I have to make this final, I'm going to get a top five finish that I pushed the pace on everybody in my heat. We all ran really fast unnecessarily um, to get to make it to the final. So <laughs> that's a, another example of like, you know, I, I was just, I didn't do a good enough job of like stepping back and being able to like assess the situation. Um, and then in Rio at the Olympics, um, it's very, the Olympics can be very chaotic um, and, and confusing. And um, the morning of the race, I found out that my coach wasn't going to be allowed, wasn't going to get a, a pass he needed in order to be in the warm up area and, and like wow. doing all the stuff to get me ready for the race. Um, so, you know, that, that was another example of like, oh my gosh, you know, you're there at the pinnacle of the sport and competing in the highest moment. And then you feel like things aren't going the way you envisioned. And I, and I really let it get to me. Yeah. Well, that happens, right? Um, mm -hmm. But that's part of competing. So yes. you, know, you have the mental part, you have dealing with that, all this uncertainty and anxiety and everything else. But then you have what's really the easy part, even though it's the part that seems difficult when you start training and stuff. And that's the training itself. You know, and the, the, okay, so you have to put in a lot of workouts, you have to do a lot of hard work, you have to really dig deep in some of those workouts and so on. But that's what athletes i think you know like the average athlete that's what we all really enjoy we think it's the process and we think that's what actually makes us stronger but what makes you stronger is not the training it's the recovery from that training right you know because mm -hmm. tissue damage is what happens during training and tissue repair is what happens when you sleep and when you actually recover so uh when it comes to sleeping and um, your recovery and your process of staying prepared for these events, do you do anything in particular with sleep? Like what's your sleep strategy or do you have one? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, it's just recognizing how important sleep is. Um, I think in terms of like how I assess what's most important for getting the most out of myself, I think running is number one. Like I, you know, you can't be a good runner if you don't actually get out the door and train. Um, but number two is sleep. Like I, like I would rank sleep ahead of nutrition, even, um, even though nutrition is really important, but you know, the way I see it is if you do a hard long run and then eat a really unhealthy meal, but get a good night's sleep, I still think I'm going to recover better than if I eat a really healthy meal after that long run and then don't sleep. <laughs> so yeah, I think sleep, sleep is definitely the most, um, important recovery tool we have. Um, and my, my strategy for it um, is I have kind of a, like a shutdown routine at night. Um, and it involves getting completely off blue light, like an hour before I'm going to bed. Um, and, and, but mostly just having the routine, um, that, that I also take on the road with me when I'm, you know, traveling to different races. And so that just kind of allows like my body and mind to know like sleep, like sleep is coming. Um, and, and I find it's easier to, to just like wind down and, and fall asleep. Um, and then, Lately, I don't have any training partners right now. It's just me and my, my husband and coach. Um, and so we've started waking up naturally um, rather than have, you know, we used to have like our practice window was pretty set like 9am to 11am and we've let it evolve. And, and I know that's a luxury um, and most people can't do that, but we've let it kind of a shift to like 11am to 1pm mm -hmm. um, and not set an alarm in the morning. And this is just the best and healthiest I've felt in, in a long, long time. And I really think it's because I'm just letting my body sleep as much as it wants to. Yeah. Okay. So then, I mean, like you said, most people don't have the luxury of just doing that. You know, I mean, I go to bed really early and I usually wake up without an alarm, but I still have an alarm just in case, mm -hmm. you know, 
and most people do that. And so, yeah. uh, but then aside from, you know, when you're in this situation where you're a professional, you know, world-class athlete and you can do that, does that shift at all or change when you're just like in your sort of like normal training mode versus when you're really in final preparation for something, you know, like the Olympics or world championships? Is there, is there some way that you shift that stuff in your schedule around sleep or does it pretty much just stay consistent? It stays pretty consistent. Um, I think, you know, so something I've learned because I've learned that banking a lot of sleep um, is really good for me. And, and I seem to perform better when, when I've been sleeping a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so, cause I travel a lot to race, um, you know, like a lot of road races on the East coast and a lot of track races are over in Europe. And I used to really push myself to try to adjust to the time zone. Um, and I think I've made some mistakes along the way. You know, I, I would do things like, if, like if I was going over to Europe to race, I'd be like getting up in California at 5 a.m., like trying to <laughs> adjust before I went. Um, and, and what I've found is I actually do better if I don't fight the jet lag so hard. Um, and I just, I just sleep. Whenever I'm tired, just sleep <laughs> and bank that sleep. Um, and, and then I, I seem to do better on race day. Okay, that makes sense. Um, but it's interesting because I think so many people fear the jet lag and like thinking they're gonna, not going to be able to perform. But really, I mean, you can't really adjust for California to Europe. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's too far, right? But, yeah. uh, but it's really important to be prepared in all aspects. And I know uh, you said that like really sleep is in some senses many ways more important than nutrition itself. Um, but you have to have really the base building blocks to repair any injured tissues. So what really are your nutritional habits? And since you started, you know, really like over the past few years, since you made it to the Olympics and over this, you know, period of time, what do you think you've changed or how has your diet and your nutritional sort of strategy evolved over the last few years? Yeah. Um, we cook a lot more than we used to. Um, and that's, um, part, part of that is, not wanting, you know, because I've been a professional runner for 10 years now and, and I, I want to keep doing it as long as I can. Um, so I think if I were too rigid in my approach in terms of like limiting myself from certain things that I'd burn out, that would be really draining. Um, and so it's, it's that striking that balance of like eating the things I want to eat and, and still being healthy. And so I found that if we're controlling the preparation, um, then I'm still making hamburgers and I'm still having pizza um, and, and we're just, we're doing it our way. And so we make sure that it, it's healthy and, and done well. Um, and then the quality of the ingredients I think is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, like I'm, I'm lucky to be in the position I'm in. I, my, my agent, um, recently secured a sponsor for me that, um, it's called Wagyu Man and it's Wagyu Beef. And so, um, you know, that, that's the source of red meat I'm getting right now, which is, really healthy omega-3 fatty acids and and it's a great source of iron it's Japanese, um, right yep yeah exactly yeah. so yeah that's, it's true it's like not everybody can get it i mean i know it's true. i know exactly it's, it's it's very high quality um but that's kind of the the emphasis we're pointing with with my nutrition okay well that makes lots of sense but it's again controlling the variables that you can actually control right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's more hassle to prepare your food, but you have full control over what you're actually putting into your meals, which yeah. is really key. Um, so I've heard, you know, over the years, I've heard lots of different athletes talk about all different kinds of things that they think of kind of as their like special strategies for recovery. 
because if you don't recover faster, you can't work out as much without getting an overtraining injury. You know, some people it's naps, some people massages, all kinds of stuff. You know, what do you really think of as the things that are really key to help you recover faster and maybe even decrease your risk of getting one of those overtraining injuries when you're really training hard? Yeah, that, um, that's a hard question for me because I don't, I don't think of it as being like one specific thing. I think it's really like the, the combination of everything. So, you know, like we we talked about sleep and I, and I really do believe that sleep is the number one thing you can do and which is great because that's available to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, the body care is really important. Um, and so, you know, I, like I have a great chiropractor I use in Sacramento. I have one up here in Flagstaff. And then, um, I also see a physical therapist in Bend, Oregon and, and a chiropractor in Phoenix, Arizona. And they, those two, um, the one in Bend and the one in Phoenix, it's a little more sporadic when I see them, but I bring in Drew, my husband and coach. And so they, are teaching him what I need to be doing kind of on a daily basis. Um, and so then we're, we're doing a lot of like body care homework at home um, every day. And actually we've incorporated that into the shutdown routine before bed. So that is like TVs off, iPads away. Um, you know, we've had our tea and then we go do that and then go to bed. And so it's kind of like that whole rhythm of recovery kind of to end the day. No, that's great. Okay. So one thing I'm really curious about with you is that I know you do lots of, not just lots of races, but you do lots of different kinds of races. And so I think that presents like a special challenge, you know, because if you finish one event and then you're going to do something else relatively soon, that's even a different distance, you really have to, I think, be very deliberate, I would imagine, about your recovery strategy after those key races that you've just completed. So, you know, what do you do in terms of recovery in the first 24 48 hours you know immediately following some you know championship type event where you really give it your all what do you do to make sure that you're ready to resume training as quickly as possible after those events um well first one is going for the cool down um so you know i can't skip that after a race i think that that's really important so it's cool down kind of in order like chronologically <laughs> it's cool down hydrate a lot um, you know, I, I usually have like a big thing of Pedialyte with me, um, eat a meal. Um, so, you know, you want to, you want to get food in you to, to help with that like muscle tissue repair, um, as soon as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the one that's really hard for me actually after, after my evening track races is sleep, sleep, because I, I have coffee two hours before I race to make sure I'm like fully alert and, and ready to go. But if it's a 9 PM race, and that's that, that can be really detrimental to my sleep. Um, so then usually for like the next day or two, um, I, the, the running has to be really easy to just like let my body recover. And then it's normally I'm terrible at napping. I don't like naps, but after those races, I'll often like manage to nap and then go to bed really early and get a really good night's sleep the following night. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's all reasonable things, right? But it's also, I guess you have to be very intentional about those things too. It's just not so easy to just, I mean, you don't, obviously you've got Pedialyte, you're prepared to, and you kind of have these things in your mind when you're doing the events, you're really prepared to put them into action after those events. Um, But again, I know you've done so many different, really like, you know, once in a lifetime kind of events for any elite athlete. Um, you have to have this incredible catalog of experiences, you know, in your head. So of all the races you've done throughout your career so far, 
what one experience would you say is most memorable to you and why? Um, I think so that, that 10,000 meters that you um, talked about in the beginning in 2014, um, that was the first national championship I'd ever won. Um, and, and like you described, it was a really exciting and dramatic finish. And then that the U S championships that year were in Sacramento, which, um, is where I, I live and train. And so it had a huge hometown feel. Um, my sister was actually getting married the next week. So we had family from all over the world that had come in in time. And so it just, it was that feeling of having like the stands packed full of people that were, were cheering for me and, and, and experiencing that really like exciting kind of comeback over the final hundred meters. Um, it just felt really special and really exciting. Yeah, I would imagine. And I know that you, you know, you also still like you, you know, grew up in Santa Rosa and you have this connection to Sacramento and I think you go back and forth right between Arizona and Sacramento and, um, and you, you really do seem to like stay connected to that region in a sense. And so Mm -hmm. do you still do like races and stuff in Sacramento just because they're there or do you sometimes, Yeah, wonder. yeah, it's um, yeah. We have some good races in Sacramento. I I haven't done CIM yet, um, and marathon is you know it's a, marathon's a big undertaking. I've only done one, so yeah. um, yeah, we'll see we'll see about that one day. But I do I do like doing regional events, and and I love getting back to to Santa Rosa, um, if not to race, just to to run in the parks and yeah. and, and go to the Fleet Feet and see people. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so what about now? Like in this current climate of all the uncertainty and all of that, um, nobody knows what's going on with what racism when, and everything's speculative at this point. But I would imagine that with your training and everything else, it's helpful to have something to work toward and be focused on. But what are you doing right now, like to stay motivated and to stay focused and to stay on track with your training? Yeah, this has been a really, really interesting time um, because <laughs> I don't, there, there's nothing on the schedule and we don't know when it will come back. Um, but, it, you know, I mean, we talked in the beginning about how I had that kind of foundation of love just, just for running without there being like any outcome expectations. And um, what I found is that that's all still in me. And, and it's been a long time since I've thought about running in that way. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, being here in Flagstaff and, and going out on these trails and, and exploring some, some more single track that I might not normally do, and, you know, if I'm worried about turning an ankle or something right before a race, yeah. um, it's actually been, I've been really enjoying a little bit of freedom um, to just have some fun with the running. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I haven't put pressure on myself to, to do any specific types of workouts or training. And, and, but what I found is that I just want to, and, and I'm actually, running more than I was before <laughs> because yeah. we're enjoying it so much. Um, and, and, you know, like I'm, I'm 34 and I was, I had gone through a phase um, over the last few years where I was kind of relearning how to manage the load on my body. I'd, I'd had some plantar fascia issues and um, some torn ligament issues in my feet from compensating for plantar fascia. Um, and so, you know, I incorporated some cross training and I, and I was actually only running five days a week. Um, and then when the gyms closed, I started running seven days a week again and it's gone really well. And so I've also been pretty happy during this time to, um, like push myself a little bit out of my comfort zone in terms of training load again and, and find that I'm, I'm actually fine doing it. And so we're, I think I'm, I'm adapting and, um, 
and I'm actually excited about what the future holds in terms of like being able to have a little bit of a higher training load than I was a few weeks ago. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, so I'm curious though, when you, you know, when you get these injuries, this is a really, really common thing. I see runners all the time. People call me for webcam consults and stuff and they'll say, well, I got this issue. I got this, you know, tendonitis thing that's really wrecking my training. It really hurts and so on. And then, you know, you realize that, okay, well, this started with plantar fasciitis or something. And they'll say, well, yeah, but that's not a big deal. That just bugs me when I get out of bed in the morning. It doesn't interfere with my run. And like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> if you didn't have the plantar fasciitis issue, you wouldn't have gotten this tendonitis issue, you know, mm-hmm. and then, and then they're, you know, they're kind of at a loss. So like having been through that, if you had to go back and do it again, like would, would you do something differently uh, through that whole scenario or would you basically kind of do what you did before? I mean, oh, do you think that, I mean, it's hard to say, right? Because you're never going to be in the same circumstance again. And, and I find most people that get injured, they don't ever get that injury again, you know, but like, you know, the way that you dealt with it, did you, did you just like try to train through it and then wound up in a worse circumstance? And, you know, I mean, that's all I'm asking really is that like, you know, do you think you're better at recognizing what is really a problem and dealing with it head on as opposed to just kind of waiting to see if it blows up or what, what do you think? Yeah, I think, um, I think learning, learning, I mean, a a soft tissue injury like that, um, it, it doesn't seem to work. I've, I've tried everything. I've tried completely taking time off. Um, and then I've tried just plowing forward and ignoring it to see if it would go away. And, and I don't think either of those are the answer. They haven't been for me. Um, and so it's learning how to manage the appropriate load. And, and I certainly um, am not an expert, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I think what's been interesting about this time period, especially with the plantar fascia, because it's gotten so much better since COVID-19 broke out, which, <laughs> and, and, and I think part of it is like, well, the races aren't on the schedule, so I'm not quite doing the intensity of training, like on the track, putting on spikes. Um, and so, so this is kind of an interesting window in terms of like, well, my mileage is going up and I feel great. Um, so I'm running more, but it's just a different type of running and, it, and that seems to be better for my body right now. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, as you said, like, you know, this, um, you know, race where you were, you kind of blew it in a sense with the pacing and stuff and you thought that it was over and then you basically were just in the moment focusing on what was going on right then and just trying to stay on task with what was right in front of you turned into like a huge success when yeah. you actually thought it was over. Yeah. You know, and right now it's interesting because you're running what seven days a week now. Yep. You're running more mileage, but it's far more enjoyable in some sense, you know, the running yep. that you're doing right now and your body's responding in a way that's really positive. Yeah. Right. And it's so interesting because there is no one solution for anybody. Like, no matter who I see with an injury, everybody thinks that if they call me and they say, well, you know, I have this issue. They think I have the answer for that issue because I only treat runners. But the deal is, is that there is a right answer for everybody and it's different because everybody is different. Yeah. You know, and there is no one answer. It's just if they haven't found the right answer yet in most cases, but it's very difficult to come up with that sometimes. Uh, But there's a solution for everybody. Now there was a quote that I saw you posted on Twitter from John Muir, right? I know that our bodies were made to thrive only in pure air and on the scenes in which pure air is found. Now, obviously, like where you are right now, or you get to train, there's a lot of that. But how did that quote come to you? And why did you decide to post that? I mean, can you tell us what's, 
really behind that quote uh, and the significance of posting it now? Well, um, yeah, I mean, at, at the time when I posted it, it was in appreciation of being able to, to get outside and, and explore new places here. Um, and, you know, I feel, I feel really lucky, like that my sponsor New Balance is there. They're kind of like the, their values right now are about like, stay active, take care of each other. You know, there isn't this like, like technically my job is to race in New Balance and I don't know when I'm going to get to do that again. <laughs> so that is a little bit worrying, but they've just been really supportive in terms of like spreading this message of, mm-hmm. you know, just, just get outside and, you know, and, and discover things about yourself. Um, and so I was kind of speaking to that, you know, the, the appreciation of the ability to do that. Um, it's interesting since I put that out to have seen how so many cities around the world now have cleaner air because there are, you know, fewer, fewer people out. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> but I wasn't, I wasn't making that comment at the time. <laughs> no, but it's true. Like with Los Angeles, it is yeah. fascinating how the sort of quality of life can improve dramatically for everyone when just some people are removed from commuting. You know, yeah. it's, it really is an interesting thing to consider. Um, it is. I mean, and, and it's like, we're, we're all living this way, you know, not, not by choice, but we're, we're, we're making the sacrifice to, to live this way for everybody's health and safety and, and look at this other interesting impact it's having that, you know, maybe we should consider in the future. Yeah. Well, it's also, you know, I mean, I was having a conversation with somebody recently about this, about how a crisis like this can really and truly reveal what people's values really are, you know, and companies in particular, like, uh, you know, somebody, one of my friends said, you know, you should post like ads on uh, Google ads and stuff, just like telemedicine for runners, because everybody's afraid to go into the doctor. I was like, yeah, I could do that. But that kind of seems like preying on people's fear a little bit. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't really seem appropriate to try to like jump in front of people and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, sell services to them. And then companies like New Balance, right? They like immediately started making masks. Yeah. And they're not a mask company. They're not yeah. going to like satisfy their shareholders by producing masks, right? But it's clearly the right thing to do. And they just decided to do it. They didn't need to get anybody's approval to do it. They just started to do it. You know, and it's really inspiring to see that kind of stuff from companies as big as New Balance, you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I, was, I was pretty blown away when I saw that and, and felt, you know, really proud that, that I've been able to be associated with them for, for so many years. Yeah, that's pretty fantastic. Okay, so I've got one last question for you. Uh, if you could go back in time and you could talk to Kim Conley, you know, the young girl just starting to run in high school, like at the beginning of ninth grade, you know, who, you know, knew she could run, but didn't know, probably didn't think about the Olympics or anything at that time. If you could just go back and talk to that girl today, what piece of advice would you give your younger self? Um, I think I would, I mean, this is a funny thing to say now because I didn't even do it at the time, but I would say like, don't put pressure on yourself. And, and I didn't really back then. Um, you know, I was, I was pretty like, low key and just, you know, having fun and, and really like enjoying, you know, going, going out on trails and doing long runs. And, um, but, but I, yeah, I think I would kind of speak to that because I think it was, you know, I look back sometimes and wonder like, Oh, if I'd had somebody that was like telling me you could be this good or, you know, like kind of giving me harder goals to chase, I probably would have gone for it. And I might've been a little better back then, but I don't know if that I would have had, 
the career that I've had since then is in terms of like longevity. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy with the way my career has gone. And so I think I would want to do it the, the same way I did it back then in terms of just having fun and, and learning to, to love running because it's taken me far. And, and then right now in this moment, um, I feel like it's, it's serving me again uh, in terms of just being able to appreciate what I get to do every day. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you say, I mean, you've had some of the most enjoyable running you've had in a long time right now with no real goal right in front of you. Right. Yeah. Really yeah. interesting. So, you know, I think those are important messages for everybody here right now to realize that, uh, you know, where we are, we don't know where we're going or whatever, but that, yeah, if you have that love of running and you can go out and enjoy it now, it is really a special gift because there's so many people right now who don't have something like that, that they just enjoy and all the things that they typically enjoy, whether it's going out to fancy restaurants or whatever, they can't do it. You know, yeah. it's not in the cards for them. So uh, it's really inspiring. I mean, all of your, you know, not just your past running, but the way that you view things today, I think is really inspiring. Um, and I'm interested to see what happens next for you. Like if, it, if, all, if everything went away tomorrow and all the schedules got reinstated and everybody was back on track, what would be your next goal? Um, well, everything is, everything's with the Olympics in mind. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess if the Olympics were going back in, into this July, then I'd be getting ready for the Olympic trials in June. Um, and, you know, if not, if we assume that it's still the schedule for next year, um, then, then we will, we'll be working backwards from, from those two dates. Um, and, and then trying to figure out what the, what the best path forward to those are. Yeah. All right. All right, Kim. Well, look, so we'll uh, wait to see what the Olympic schedule is and then see where you go from there too. But um, if somebody wants to reach out to you, you know, connect with you, follow you, where are the best places for them to find you? Uh, so I'm on Instagram as KF Conley. I respond to all my direct messages. So if you want to actually, you know, talk, then that's, that's probably the easiest one. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also on Twitter at at Kim Conley, and then I have a website, kimfconley.com. Okay, great. So we'll put all those links in the show notes at docontherun.com under the podcast tab. Uh, make sure that everybody can get those, get easy access to them. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, Kim, I'm just really grateful that you would take time out of your schedule today. I know it's busy, even though there's a shutdown. That doesn't mean <laughs> that it's not busy. Uh, in fact, a lot of people, it seems much busier uh, for some interesting reason, but, uh, but I am glad that you could take the time to come on here today and we'll look and wait and see what happens with you and the Olympics. So again, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was truly an honor to have Kim on the show today. And before you go, I just want to mention one other thing. If you have an overtraining injury, if you think you have an overtraining injury, if you've been recovering from an injury, the most important thing you can do is track your pain. I've written a couple of books on this. I've provided a lot of information on podcasts about this. But the one thing you really need to do more than any other is stay focused and do something specific every day to make sure that you understand whether or not what you're doing is making you better or worse. And that all starts with tracking your pain. So go to the show notes for this episode. Download the pain journal. I made it for you. It's the runner's pain journal. It shows you exactly what to track, what you should chart, and then you can use that to see whether or not your condition is actually really improving or if it's not. And if it's not, then you have to do something different. But if it is improving, that helps you understand how you can start ramping up your activity so you can keep running and get back to all of your running goals a whole lot faster. Go check it out. Go to the show notes, stockontherun.com. It's free and you can get it there now.
If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me. And then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.